Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to take this moment to say thank you for listening to the Real Rescue Podcast. It means a lot to me that you enjoy these stories as much as I do. Since the start of this podcast, we've had a lot of support from all over the world. It has been amazing. Now, we have companies joining our team that also want to say thank you for all that you are doing out there standing the watch. These companies are offering discounts on their products as a way to support the rescue community and those tuning into the Real Rescue Podcast. Just go to therealrescue.com, click on sponsors, and see these incredible offers for yourself. This episode of the Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. Axness, because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, clear communication is of the utmost importance. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. And Airwave, the Airwave Performance Mouthpiece, helping you to use breathing to your advantage. Breeze Eastern, they dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Axness PNG wireless ICS system can bring cutting edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere at any time on any aircraft. Plus with the strongest and most robust waterproof handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise canceling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Axness PNG wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1,800 public safety, air ambulance, and search and rescue aircrafts worldwide. I have personally used the Axness system in four different countries and on five different airframes. It is awesome. If you want more information, contact them today at axness.com. That's A-X-N-E-S dot com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help your helicopter training. They train daytime, nighttime, aerial firefighting, hoist, longline, fast rope, rappel, and more. They can assist your program with standardization and safety checks or just an FAA annual refresher. With the certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew, they are ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. Plus, right now, SR3 is offering 10% off anything in their web store with the promo code, all capital letters, REALRESCUE, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. Plus, they are offering another 10% from their partners, Petzl, and their equipment, 
All you got to do is send an email to info at sr3rescueconcepts.com. Mention this podcast and they'll take care of the rest. And airway. What if I told you that you could train harder for longer and recover faster just by wearing a mouthpiece? I know. I questioned it too. Then I gave it a try. The Airwave Performance Mouthpiece is a breakthrough in performance technology that is scientifically proven with over 15 years of peer-reviewed published research at the Citadel to open your airway by 25% for improved breathing, resulting in a 20% decrease in respiratory rate, an increase in muscular endurance, and 50% reduction in cortisol levels post-workout. Now, what does this mean to me? Well, now I'm able to train harder, recover faster, and be even more prepared for when that SAR alarm goes off. You don't need to take my word for it. Try it yourself and see how you can use your breathing to your advantage. Go to airwave.com or visit them on Instagram at airwave to learn more about it. Then, when you're ready to give it a try, because you heard about it here at The Real Rescue, you get 10% off with the promotion code REALRESCUE, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. In this episode, I've got another pilot friend joining me for some of his stories. Uh, they were awesome. And him and I get to reconnect after many years of just going in different directions, the way the military rules. Anyway, please welcome our next guest, United States Coast Guard pilot, Mr. Dan Leary. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. You've been up all night, haven't you? No, I actually got to sleep. I, uh... I was up at 5.30. I just came back from the gym with the kids. So I was uh, I had a session with some middle school athletes from 6.30 to 7.15. Oh, perfect. Nice. Yeah. That's the way to get the day started. That's how I started my day. Good little workout yeah. this morning. Oh, yep. love it. Right on. All right, well, let's go. Ladies okay. and gentlemen, welcome to The Real Rescue. Uh, today, I've got a pilot brother with me. We kind of flew together in Kodiak, Alaska, and and had some good times up there. Uh, mostly training flights, I think, for you and I, right? I, I would say that, yeah. Anyway, so please welcome to the show, Mr. Dan Leary. What's up, Dan? Hey, Quinny, good to see you. Man, it is great to see you. It is, it's been a hot minute since you and I have uh, hung out and talked, so this is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. So... Before I go too far, if you don't mind, just uh, give a little bit, everybody a little background about who you are and how you became like Coast Guard pilot, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, a little bit about you. Okay. So um, I started my military career. I was a college dropout, didn't do, didn't do well at college. So I joined the Marine Corps. I was in the Marine Corps and um, I wanted to fly, couldn't fly got out of the Marine Corps, joined the Army National Guard to get the tuition waiver. And I was in an aviation unit, um, you know, to, to, to be around helicopters. And then I found out, hey, you can go to flight school in the Army National Guard 
without a college degree. So you have to get in line and there's a vetting process. And uh, I got accepted to flight school in 1990, but I didn't attend until 1992. I had to wait two years. Oh my gosh. School. Yeah, it's really, I was, uh, it, it was a real funny story because um, I finally got the shot to go. I, I was older. I was, I, I was 25 when I got accepted. I got the flight school right before my 27th birthday. So I really felt like Richard Gere, an officer and a gentleman. I got nowhere else to go, you know, but I was excited to be in flight school. I uh, went to flight school 90, 90, 92, uh, went to army flight school. Um, back then, that was during the drawdown. There weren't a lot of active army uh, slots available. So I came back to the National Guard in Massachusetts and uh, I flew my butt off. I flew like 300 hours a year as a part-timer. Wow. I, I, didn't, I didn't get paid a lot for a lot of it, but I was thinking, well, I'm going to build flight time and, you know, it, it, it'll help me get a job. Uh, the National Guard had an opportunity for a full-time job in 97. They had passed me over and I heard about the uh, Coast Guard's direct commission aviator program. And we were right across the ramp at Cape Cod from Coast Guard Air Station, Cape Cod. And they would, they would go out and launch in stuff that we wouldn't even walk to the helicopter for. So it was almost like we were the JV, <laughs> they were the varsity. So- and you're uh, like, wait a minute, there, I thought we were National Guard. That's Coast Guard. They, what are you, why are they going out? We're not, what is, what is wrong with yeah. this picture? <laughs> yeah, it, you know, I, both, I saw them flying the H3s and then they got the H60s. And so I went over there, uh, everybody knows somebody. And uh, they were like, hey, we have this direct commission aviator program. And that program's kind of like a window. When they need pilots, the Coast Guard opens this window. And when they don't need pilots, they shut it. So the window was just opening again. And I networked the hell out of it. And that's the only reason I became a Coast Guard pilot is because I was talking to anyone that was in the Coast Guard. Uh, I had my interview and I got selected. And I was just so totally geeked. So here I am, I'm 32. Um, uh, I'm, a, I've, I'm a husband, I've got two baby boys and uh and I'm going to get to go be a, a Coast Guard pilot. And that's so um, cool. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I talked to the detailer and I don't know much about the Coast Guard. And he says, uh, North Bend, Miami, Atlantic City and Traverse City, rank them. And I, I, ranked, uh, I ranked Atlantic City first because I figured, well, it's six hours from home. And boom, he sends me to Traverse City. And my first question is, where's that? And they're like, Michigan. <laughs> I'm like we have the Coast Guard in Michigan. Uh, okay, isn't that Again, like in I was the middle so, of the U.S.? What is wrong with this picture? <laughs> I was so excited just to be in the Coast Guard and to be an active duty pilot. Uh, so um, it, it it was great. So uh, off we go to Traverse City. Uh, Traverse City is not known for their SAR cases, but it is known for their just absolutely miserable weather. So I, I got to fly with a, a bunch of really awesome uh, former Alpat pilots, Doug Nash, Tom Kay, 
Don Dyer, uh, Bill Imel, uh, you know, these guys just kind of take you under the, under their wing and, uh, and uh, they, they just train you and you learn how to fly in really, really bad snowy, icy weather. And then in the wintertime, we would pick up deployments to the Caribbean. Oh, that's so rough. You'd, you'd take a helicopter, fly it to Miami, and jump on a boat for six to eight weeks. And so that was pretty cool. And uh, while I was there, uh, you, as a pilot, you start looking at how you want to track. And I really like dealing with people and I love the leadership aspect of being an aviation engineer. Plus I saw how well the end being a former enlisted guy, I saw how well the engineers got along with their enlisted people and how much they cared for them. So I was like, man, I want to do that. And I was blessed because I had some heavy hitters uh, as CEOs. I had uh, Captain Harner, Boo Harner. Then I had uh, turned out to be Admiral Ostebo, Tom Ostebo. And, and then uh, I got selected for engineering under uh, Admiral Ostebo back when he was a commander. So uh, then it's like, okay, where are you gonna go? And like I said, Traverse City, people had, were either coming from Alpat or going to Alpat, which is for your listeners, the Alaska Patrol. Basically they're stationed in Kodiak. You do two or three deployments a year in the Bering Sea, flying a 65 off the, the back end of a Coast Guard cutter, um, which really I thought good. was a really, a really cool mission. And I'd heard all these amazing stories about Alaska. And so with my, with my two baby boys and, and my wife, Marjorie, that she just loved the idea of us going to Alaska, boom, off we go to Alaska. And, uh, and that's where I met you hey. and O'Brien and Jason Bunch, <laughs> yeah. Tommy Poland, uh, Will Milam. Oh, um, we had such a good crew up there. Well, my first job in uh, Kodiak was to be the, uh, I was the uh, rescue swimmer officer. So I was in charge of the rescue swimmers, which you guys don't need anybody to be in charge. So I can remember going in and talking to Chief. Was it uh, Chief Williams? Dan Williams? Uh, yes. Yep. So I walk in and I go, hey, think of me as your lawyer. I'm here to provide high cover and sage advice. Other than that, it's your shop, you know, and we got along great, you know, and uh, then we I did four deployments uh, to the Bering Sea became an Alaska qualified aircraft commander. You know, we joke in the Coast Guard, there's those that have been to Alaska and everybody else. So <laughs> really, yeah. I'm super proud yeah. of that. Um, <laughs> then I uh, went to, uh, uh, I became the EO at Port Angeles. I did three years in Port Angeles. After that, I needed to do a staff tour. So they sent me to be the EXO at the A school. Uh, so that was a really cool tour. And then, and then uh, when that finished up, I, uh, uh, I still needed a quote unquote uh, pre-command billet. So I got to be an EO again, but this time they needed a 60 EO in Astoria. I'd always want to fly the 60. So came to Astoria, became the EO again, you know, which doing an EO tour the second time around is so much easier because you know everything. And uh I did that for three years. I extended to get my kids through high school. And then I just ended up retiring here. And now I fly for Life Flight. 
What a career. Wow. Man, that that's awesome. Um, I love how you kind of ended on the big iron. That That's kind of cool, too. I'm just going to throw that out there. It, it, you know, it's so funny because, you know, there's the, 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 they like to kid each other. Yeah. You know, and so I would always joke to the 60 guys and be like, hey, anybody can do SAR in a capable platform. Okay. <laughs> but so yeah, I, I really liked, I liked flying the 60. Yeah. I love flying yeah. the 60. I, I used to tell everybody it's 11 tons of American freedom. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right. Oh, that's awesome. Um, all right. So now with that incredible career, do you remember your very first SAR case? I do. I do. Uh, so Johnny Donahue, I don't know if you remember Johnny Donahue. He was a swimmer in Traverse City with us. And uh, I was with Johnny Donahue and the aircraft commander was Don Marinello. And I think the flight mech was a guy named Scott Sheriff. Um, Traverse City has an air facility in uh, Muskegon, which covers the lower end of Lake Michigan in the summertime. So we were down there and, you know, a lot of times we're just a speed bump on the process of evolution. Um, this guy decided to take a jet ski and he tried Hold to on, jet ski. Time out, time out. You said you're just a speed bump to what? The process of evolution. Oh my God. That's the funniest thing I've heard all day. That's oh you're gonna hear some great quotes oh, don't I worry i got a bunch I of them from blake forest <laughs> oh god i i just i needed to hear that one again just to make sure i get that one yeah. right that's funny okay okay yeah. my bad keep going yeah. okay so this guy decides to take a jet ski and try to jet ski from michigan to illinois Oh, okay. okay. He's got to run across the lake. And of course, he runs out of gas a third of the way there. Uh, we get a call. We start looking for him. Uh, they find him in the water. He's unresponsive. Johnny goes down and uh, hoists him up. And I'm in the left seat. This is all new to me. So I'm running the radios. I'm watching Marinello do his rescue checklist and do the hoist and everything. And I'm looking over my shoulder and I can see the guy in the back of the the aircraft and i'm thinking he's dead he's dead and i watched johnny straddle him and he looks up at me with this devilish grin and he he mouths watch this and he gives him a big ass sternum rub and the guy literally jumps and i'm like holy shit holy shit he's alive holy shit look at that and uh and so you know we zip him zipped him zip him to a hospital and he completely recovers but what i what i can't i'll never forget is like after that like man the air just tastes better you know like the sun shines a little brighter and you're just like wow we we made an impact and i mean i really i sat in the left seat and ran the radios i didn't do much but man uh, don and scott and 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 john it was I was like, man, this is awesome. So that was my that was my first rescue in the Coast Guard. That is so cool. Oh, that's so yeah. cool. Yeah. Check one, life saved. Yes, sir. Yeah. I like Which it. in Michigan, 
in Traverse City, there's probably six SAR cases a year back then. So, I mean, it was a big deal. And you got one of them. Hey, yeah, it's like a, exactly. you know, like. Exactly. Well, like, uh, that's pretty good odds, actually. Oh, it's terrible odds, really. But you yeah, got one of them. Was, so, hey. I mean, it, it was pretty funny. Like, for you to actually hoist someone in the basket at Traverse City, it was, it was a big deal because there's just so many other assets and ways you, you know, if yeah. we'd find, we did a lot of inland SAR. So like you'd find someone, you'd wait for the ground party to get there, you know, really. Fly around so anyways, yeah, it times. Was, uh, there they are. And that, right was there. The other, that was the nice part about going South too, because when you go down to the Carib, you'd get SAR cases. Oh, and chase nice. Guy, and chase bad guys. So that, that was, that was a good time. Ooh. Well, should we move down to the Caribbean then to uh, see here's so, some stuff down there? Yeah, I got, so my second deployment um, with Bill Imel, God rest his soul, um, as the AC, Sorry. Russell Russell Merrick, who just retired as an 04. Russ was Merrick, our, I do know Russ. Was our flight mechanic. And of course you didn't, you didn't take a rescue swimmer on boat deployments. So... We're on the Coast Guard Cutter Forward. We're getting ready to, uh, it's January 2000. We're getting ready to go to a port call in St. Thomas. And we get woke up about three o'clock in the morning. And the movie, the Titanic had just come out. Okay. All right. <laughs> so some, one of their passengers gets up on the bow and says, I'm king of the world. And he falls off. Of course he does. And I, I'm sorry, I'm laughing right now. That's terrible. Um, I'm all excited because Bill said if we have a search and rescue case, I get to sit in the right seat. So I get to actually be the one to manipulate the controls during the rescue. So I was super excited. So I'm running around and I'm, I'm like, I'm the enthusiastic beginner. And Bill's like, hey, calm down, calm down. So off, uh, he's like, most likely the guy is, is not going to be alive. He fell 80 feet off the bow. He probably went through the ship's screws. Oh, and we're in shark infested waters. Okay. <laughs> so we launch out and uh, actually the mechanic was a gal named Jamie Hale. I'll remember that Jamie Hale was the, was the mechanic on this flight. And we're flying around, and lo and behold, there he is in the water. He's alive. He's treading water. And we're like, oh, my God. Rescue checklist part two for a basket pickup. Jamie puts the basket right next to him. Now, the guy's been treading water all night. So he's been treading water for about eight hours. Holy smoke. He, he gets next to the basket, and uh, he just kind of collapses. But he doesn't climb in the basket. And I'm like, well, damn it. I'm not going to get to hoist him. He's just going to hang onto the basket till the boat gets here. Jamie kind of maneuvers the basket, comes us around. He flops in. We hoist him up and, and, and take him to St. Thomas. And uh, the best part about that was later that day, we pull into St. Thomas. Everybody hears about the rescue. And we're at this bar called the Greenhouse. And uh, one of the most interesting things about being on a ship is... If you rescue someone, everybody on the ship feels that. 
it's a really big deal to them that somehow they helped save somebody. So wow, I thought that was cool. really cool. But huh. couldn't nobody could buy a beer for anybody that wore Coast Guard uniform that day on St. Thomas. So I got to I got to do that. So did uh, I did that in Traverse City, and then in 2002 we drove to Alaska. And here we go, Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you had a you had a couple of cool things in Alaska. That, well, while we were there together anyway. Like I said, that's so I didn't fly on the 65s too much while I was out there. I think I did one uh one case on the 65, and it just so happened it was a boat um that was up on land and they needed some more pumps and all the 60s were gone and they were like, ah, just take a 65 curry and fly it up. So I jumped on board with that and went up. But um other than that, I think it was for you and I, it was just training, 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 lots of different training flights that I would jump on with, with you guys. And, and other than that, I was, I was flying in the 60s. So, right. But we crossed yeah, so, uh, a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. Or we'd see each other at, uh, remember Bill and Mary's? Oh, yes. So, all right. Uh, I, I got, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, out in out in the panhandle of Alaska, you have uh, Cold Bay, and that's really just before you start getting into all the islands that that run out. So if you look at a map, you're like Cold Bay, Cold Bay. Find Dutch Harbor on Alaska. Keep going like northeast, and you'll find Cold Bay. Well, there's like a what is it? It's like a bed and breakfast type place, and there's only like right. twelve people gotta, in the entire tell town. The fact that you got to tell everyone the fact that there's a 12,000 foot runway there. That's a divert for the space shuttle. True statement. Very true statement. Um, but Bill and Mary, so they, they have this like Airbnb and there's like 12 rooms in it or something like that. But when we would go deploy over there, we would stay at Bill and Mary's and that, <laughs> it was like the greatest time ever. It was like going to like uncle Bill and Aunt Grandma. Mary's house. Yeah, it's like going to yeah. house. So, oh, like, my, like Thanksgiving dinners every night. Family, yeah. Style the big, she had that big table, she had the big table with like 12 places. And I, so, they ran unbeknownst to us, Cold Bay is a really hot spot for duck and geese hunters. Yes, and so they would Bill would run, Bill would run uh expeditions out of there. So, my first SAR case, I'm on the Jarvis. We just left Kodiak like a day earlier. We're on the south side of the chain. So we're not even in the Bering Sea yet. And we get a call about an injured crewman on the Chelsea K. Uh, me and Dave. And when you're on the boat as pilots, like you swap seats every day. So like, uh, oh, it's Monday. I'm in the right seat. Tuesday, I'm in the left seat. Wednesday, I'm back in the right seat. So it was my day in the right seat. And Dave's like, you feel you feel up to this and i'm like yeah so i'm excited here's my first uh my first alaska sar case so we have to leave the boat we fly into cold bay and i remember doing the low visibility approach the runway's elevated so we actually had to climb to land on the runway when you come yeah. in from the south refuel we go out in the bering sea and it's me dave waringa and brian schmidt and, and brian's gonna as always, the flight mechanics always play a key role, but Brian tonight is just a rock star. So we get out on scene with the uh, Chelsea K. This lineman had a, a rope snap and it came across his face, almost oh. split his, 
yeah, it, it was pretty gruesome. We had to get him off the ship. And, you know, 40 foot seas and the winds are 50, 60 knots. And so uh, we go to put the basket down and because of the winds and the way we're getting conned, the basket came back, the winds died and we actually saw the basket in the windscreen in front of me. Oh my gosh. Right. So Brian waves it off, says, hey, we'll try to get a trail line on board. We get a trail line on board. And we also have a dock from the boat. For some reason, the ship captain wanted to, to have us take the dock, the, uh, the HSC with us. So we got the HSC sitting back in the rescue swimmer seat. Brian cons us in uh, again. And the ship takes a huge roll and pitches up. And Brian goes up, 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 like, you know, like that. And most flight mechs, when they con their, their voice is very commanded and very right. neutral as not, not to uh, get you excited. Brian goes up, 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 you know, so we come up and I look in front of me and that mast comes right under the aircraft. Holy so, cow. So Brian, Brian Schmidt saved my life. He saved his life. He saved Dave Waringa's life and he saved the doc's life. But yeah, if, if, if I need to name one hero in my life, AMT Brian Schmidt. So we end Shout up. Shout out to Brian. Up, yeah. Yeah. And he's so humble. He will not make a big deal out about it. But that's the best part is I get to be his biggest cheerleader because he saved my life. Love it. So I love it. We get this guy off the boat and we take him back to Cole Bay. Now, I had never been to Bill and Mary's. It's about 2.30 in the morning. We've had this heroin SAR case. Bill comes down and basically he would use his pickup truck. We would drop the tow bar in his hitch on the back of his truck and you'd stand on it to back it into that state police hangar at Cole Bay. Yeah. And then we go to Cole Bay Lodge and you walk in and there's this table set for 12 people and you sit down and I'm just so frazzled from what's just happened in the last eight hours. And Mary comes up and she's like, you look tired, honey. Would you like some soup? I'm like, <laughs> yes, I would like some soup. I'll make you some soup. Would you like a sandwich too? Yes, I would like a sandwich. <laughs> so she feeds us. And it's just, so you go from being in the ship in a very sterile, austere uh, environment. And all of a sudden I'm in my grandma's living room at, 2.30 in the morning and she's making me soup and a sandwich. You I know? love it. Oh, so, but yeah, and Mary. we would see Bill and Mary every uh, every deployment. And so I did, uh, a couple of weeks later, we had the Galaxy. So yes. we flew with you guys on the Galaxy when the Galaxy exploded. And by the time we got there, you know, you guys had already affected the rescue. It was you and Melissa and who's Kendall the playmate? Mike. Uh, Mike Simone. Mike Simone, yeah. I love dropping these old names people haven't yeah. seen in forever. So um, we search, the weather's miserable. So we launch off the boat, but there's pitch and roll limits to get back on because at some point it's unsafe to try to land the helicopter on a pitching and rolling ship. 
So we pull up next to it, we drop the hoist hook and it's called HIFR, which is helicopter in-flight refueling. So basically you hover next to the ship, they hoist the, the fuel hose up to you. You can plug it into a mount in the floor and refuel. So we do that, we search again. We hyphered three times and there's still a lot of limits. So, okay, go to Cole Bay, all right? Cole Bay, as you know, you can paint the picture for your listeners, is a small Loran station with what, eight to 10 people? Yeah, the, but really it Coast becomes guys, like, yeah. It becomes like our support facility when we have SAR cases. So yeah. when we came, when we came walking in there into the Loran station, I remember you were literally sleeping on the pool table because they didn't <laughs> have any more beds available. Nor deny sleeping on the pool table in the Loran station. <laughs> right. And so we all just kind of sack out and decompress from yeah. searching. We get, we did not bag out. Now in the Coast Guard, if you fly over six hours, you're bagged out. You can't fly anymore. You need to have 10 or 12 hours off. We had 5.8. We get woken up at midnight because the Jarvis is out south of the island and they see a, a flashing beacon out there and they think it might be a survival suit. And so we think somebody might be in it. So we go. So uh, for the record, I actually did not know any of this part of the story because we were we were back and we were getting ready to go out the next day because at that time we were off and Will Milam and his crew was on, uh, right? And we were waiting for that twenty four hour change. So I yep. actually I don't it, know any of this that you're telling me right now. Will Will and all those guys were bagged too though because we had all searched all day now. So yeah. since we weren't bagged, we could fly one more flight. They send us out and it's snowing and the winds are blowing 60. And we push the helo out of the hangar, which is perpendicular to the wind and the helicopter actually weather vanes into the wind. Holy you cow. Know? So it was like, well, welcome to Alaska. This is crazy. Getting the helicopter, Dave's in the right seat, I'm in the left seat and it's either Leroy Schmidt or, uh, or, or Schmidt, I'm not sure who. And we launch out. And one, you know, the funny thing about Alaska is you see some things that your brain has a hard time realizing it's seeing when you're, watching, you're not sure if it's actually true. Like you're like, we're, this can't we're actually out, be happening. Yeah. We're out there. We're out there and we're at 400 feet and I'm watching the Jarvis, which is a 400 foot ship, literally pitch pole up 45 degrees, you know? So I'm like, this is crazy. How, how, you know, how, how high are these waves? How high are they? How high are these seas? So we're, Dave says, Hey, we'll, uh, we'll shoot it. We'll shoot a catch, which is a computer aided approach. And we, we set it to a hundred feet instead of the normal 50 feet. So we set it to a hundred feet. We come into a hover. Yeah. All right. And I watched the rad out, the radar altimeter go from 100 to 25 and back to 100. So there's a 75 foot wave. And I'm thinking there's no way we can we can hoist in this. There is no way if, if someone is literally in the water, I don't know what we're going to do. 
we get a searchlight on it. We get our goggles on it. It just happened to be some fish in here. And, and I got to be honest, I was relieved it wasn't anybody. So yeah. we just, we, we flew back to uh, St. Paul and, and that was that, but that was my like, aha, wow. Welcome to Alaska. I mean, uh, I, you know, remember the, uh, the dumpsters, the dumpsters are chained to the ground there. Yeah, because they'll blow away in the winter if, if you don't totally change the ground. I mean, <laughs> the winds and is just crazy. So you know, I have another story from Cole Bay, which I thought was kind of funny. And I, I don't. It was another deployment that we were out there. I, I know we're talking about St. Paul, but when we were in Cole Bay, um, we went to open or close one of the hangar doors, and it, now mind you, they're on a track, so they're they're running. Uh, like you slide them like a barn door would slide and the wind came in and grabbed that door and folded it open like a like like a door you'd walk into at your house like folded yep. it open and all of a sudden we're like well that that didn't work threw a dude one of the flight backs like he's rolling on the tarmac now i was like what the hell just happened the winds yeah. are ridiculous I, so. my youngest my youngest son patrick i can remember we were in an ice storm and we're in housing and the winds are blowing and i'm literally watching him blow away as he's like sliding down the driveway <laughs> you know and he thinks it's funny and you're like oh <laughs> no, oh my god my wife had been there so long she was like would you go get him please you know it was like <laughs> a nothing burger it was so fun oh i love it man that's crazy. I, I actually, like I said, I didn't know you guys flew out um, at the end of that night to go out to look yeah, for somebody. Yeah, because they, I th we still had a couple missing that were unaccounted for. Right. After that I do remember. And yeah. so, I mean, there was the Hulk. It was still there burning. And so we were, we had a bunch of different search patterns. We were just hoping to find the bodies and recover them. Yeah. 70 foot waves though. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy out there. That's big. Yeah. Jeez. Woo. Man. All right. All right, man. I'm in for this one. Come on, Dan. Keep it rolling. Uh, other, you know, I do my, I do my four deployments. Um, and then my time in Alaska is done. Uh, so they send me to Port Angeles. I'm going to be uh, the engineering officer. So Port Angeles had one of the only lieutenant aviation officer so as an 03 you get to run the hangar deck and, oh, and have yeah, very cool all the people work for you and man what a great job i was so lucky because a lot of the enlisted workforce that i worked for in kodiak came to port angeles with me so when you know your high performers and that you know that that's nice it's almost like having draft picks you know what I mean? So <laughs> I'll take I you, won the draft. And you and you, not you. <laughs> yeah. I, and so we, I had a number of just great people there with me. And um, we're, we're 3H65s in Port Angeles. And, you know, we do the offshore mission, but there's also an inland mission there. And right. a lot of the inland mission gets, uh, gets diverted to the firewood crew. That's their call sign for the Navy search and rescue helicopters at Whidbey Island. They have a search oh, nice. and rescue unit there that supports the, uh, the jet training command. 
And so usually if there was a high altitude rescue, they would get called. And with the A and B model 65, you couldn't, you couldn't fly above 3000 feet and hover. It just did the Lycoming engines lack the power. So we re-engine the aircraft and we get turbo mecha engines in 2006. And we're told, hey, these are great, increased performance. And so- uh, I totally remember all that too. <laughs> right. And so we get this call, hey, this guy's at 6,300 feet he, on the south side of Brothers Mountain. He broke his leg and uh, he needs to be medevac. And- I'm like, well, did you guys, you know, where's the Navy? They're doing something else. So can you guys go, can you do it? So Steve Mahaney's the uh, mechanic, I'm sorry, Steve Mahaney's the co-pilot. We crunched the numbers, do the performance plan. And he's like, yeah, it says we can hover at 6,000 feet. All right. So it was me, Steve, uh, Dale Melton was the flight mechanic and uh, heavy deed, uh, Dougie Lathrop. Oh, nice. Dougie was the uh, swimmer. So we go up there. They're on the south side of Brothers Mountain. We find him. He's at about 6,300 feet. And um, we would hover out a ground effect away from the mountain. No problem. And then every time we conned in to to hoist, uh, we'd lose power and droop. And I'm scratching my head. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Hey, well, when you get one ground effect, it should be, you should have that extra little bit of lift. It's a super warm day on the south side of a rock face. So it's 20 degrees Celsius out here. It's 30 degrees Celsius right next to the rock face. Oh my gosh. So we dump some gas. We dump some gas and and then we go in there and we get Dougie on the ground and and Dougie hoists him up. And as soon as we're hoisting him up, we start to droop rotor because, you know, we're running out of power. So Doug's still outside and and we're transitioning to forward flight and coming left. Awesome. And everybody loved this because it was the increased capability of the, uh, the 65. The the uh, the sobering part of this moment was we had hoist cam footage. Remember how hoist cam footage used to be so rare? Like sometimes yeah. you have it, sometimes you didn't. Yeah. Well, we got it and we came back. And that night, uh, Stephanie Lathrop, Doug's wife, was in watching the video. She came up and she punched me, and she gave me that one finger because I'd almost drug her husband all across Brothers Mountain. Oh, and I was like, wow. okay, wow, that's pretty <laughs> so, sobering. So yes, and uh, and you saved the entire crew by actually going into forward flight to gain airspeed to get him out of the situation. So you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, but that's kind of like okay, you have two bad choices, you know? Yeah. Which, which oh, one totally bad. And it, anyways, it all worked out. And, and I love Steph. I love Doug. I love all those guys. But uh, it was a really sobering moment to, to have a spouse come up and be like, need to be careful with my husband. <laughs> that would be my <laughs> wife, too. She, man, she's like the, I'm not even going to say what she's like, because she'll yell at me later. But 
she will, man, she'll go to the biggest guy. Don't you mess with my husband. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. You know, that's, so, uh, it, if you don't mind, I, can we talk about that a little bit more? Um, because sure. there's, there's, man, I've, I've done a lot of training and stuff. And by the way, every 60 driver out there is like, oh, 6,000 feet, you bunch of pansies. <laughs> right. whatever right. it's a 65 it doesn't have the same power okay yeah now, I, maybe, I mean I maybe to, in france but not in america okay whatever i used to love to to talk to the 60 guys i'm like hey anybody can do sar in a capable aircraft yeah <laughs> yeah give us one that doesn't isn't capable and then make it happen oh right. yeah the so, the the h65 was a vip aircraft that the coast guard made into a search and rescue aircraft yeah very much so. Well, all right. So that in particular rescue, and, and um, I like having this conversation side of it, is because other aircrafts have the same type of performance issues when you get into uh, a, like a cliff face or in a change of a temperature. And that stuff, like for people that don't do a lot of mountain rescue stuff, you might not think of that downdrafts or or stuff like that. So you're out in this clean air, a little bit cooler off the mountain, and then you roll in you know, next to it, you might have a downdraft, the air is a little warmer and you start losing lift. So one for dumping fuel to lighten the load. I, I love that idea. Um, and then the, as crazy as it sounds, like I, I'm with you in, in right now today, I would have briefed with you, hey, I'm going to get dug right off the ground. As soon as we get them off the ground, let's, let's move. Let's, let's pull power if we can and right. just roll into forward flight to get away from the mountain. And then we'll just slowly descend as, as I'm bringing them in. I, I did set up the hoist so that I kept my power pedal to the, to the cliff. So yeah. it, you know, in a helicopter, depending on which way the blades turn, if you add right pedal in the 65, it'll increase torque. So I knew that if I needed to come left and down, I had the power to do it. Cool. So I had an out there. You know, I, I didn't have to turn right and over torque, you know, while we flew away. Yeah. Super smart. Like the, the whole setup of that is, yeah. is it's called well translating torque effect. Hey, all right. Hey, Tip and trick for all you pilots out there. <laughs> yeah. He's not just a pretty face, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> Man, that's that's good. Wow. Man, thank you for sharing that one. I, I, I And again, I like the conversation on the backside. And, and sure. at that point, you know, still cliff rescue was really new because back in, I mean, I went, I got to go to, it was called, remember when it was called ARS? Yeah. Advanced Rescue Swimmer School. <laughs> Advanced Rescue Swimmer School. So I yeah. got to go to ARS as a 65 pilot. And then when I was a 60 pilot, I got to go to AHARS. AHARS. Advanced uh helicopter, helicopter air rescue crew. school yeah right 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 <laughs> i still right. forget it now my bad but uh so so that was pretty cool because i got to go to the same the same course in two different aircraft so um awesome. i did i did three years in uh in port angeles it was great i ended up having another rescue on the same uh mountain with uh, John Lin John Lindborn, Mike Cook, and Christian Poliak in 2007, right off nice. the peak. And Johnny was really funny because another guy broke an ankle on the peak of a mountain. It's getting dark. 
Johnny, Johnny's famous last words were, hey man, don't leave me. (laughs) (laughs) We put him down on the, we put him down on the rock and he didn't even unhook and he just ran over to that guy, dropped him and he was on the rock less than a minute. Wow. Well done. Yeah, John's a, John is a super sharp guy, and you know you you learn so much from the people you're around when you share your experiences. Like one of the things I thought we did really well in the Coast Guard is anytime there was a search and rescue case, the the aircraft commander would type up an email afterwards and copy all the pilots, all the mechanics, all the rescue swimmers, and send it out because you can learn so much this institutional knowledge is is nice to be able to pass on right you know and and wow man why didn't i think about you know using two trail lines instead of one or wow why didn't i think of that yeah so i i love that part of uh, the coast guard and hangar flying and sharing information so that you know we can all be better yeah, me too. Uh, Bob Watson actually said to me while we were up in Alaska, he's like, I wish I had a way to download everything that I've learned. And I was like, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, well, that's the best part about those emails is because right. you'd read some emails and go, oh, that's the way he did it. I don't know if I do it that way, but it worked. Okay. Yeah. You know, yep. or you'd go like, wow, why didn't I think that? That is, that is really sharp that he thought of that. Yeah. So no, I, I yeah, enjoy cool. that. It's part of the reason so I, I really that. like this conversation here on, on the podcast because there's a lot of stuff that I'm learning about. And then there's stuff that I'm like I relive and like, oh, you know, yeah, I would have done this a little different now today than I would have done back then, you know. Um, oh, so, oh, it's awesome. My uh yeah, when you look at the safety spectrum of pilots, you know this, like I always considered myself over on the right, I was always leaning forward, you know, and yep. now that I'm 57 and flying EMS, I'm probably a little bit more over on the left side. <laughs> a little more like, yeah, we don't have to do that. That's <laughs> Right, well. When Take I, off is optional. Landing mandatory. <laughs> when I got to the A school as the XO, I would sometimes get to do the graduation speeches, and so I would talk. I would hold up two helmet bags, and I'm like, "This is this is your hel- helmet bag full of luck. It's full of luck right now. This is your helmet bag full of experience. It's empty." The goal here is to transfer all of these experiences over to your, your helmet bag full of experience so you don't have to rely on luck. Oh, yeah. And so I, all your luck you goes through experience. The, I like that. When you look at all the instructors in the back, their helmet bag full of luck is empty. There's nothing <laughs> in it. But they have this helmet bag full of experiences that they can rely on that keep them and everyone with them safe. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. good. That's good right there. <laughs> so did three years in, uh, I, I did three years as the XO at the A school. Um, yep. I really had my own personal fitness revolution there. You know, uh, two, two guys, uh, Eric Bean and uh, Jason Bunch. And love Jason. Took me, took me under their wing and I would train with them in the mornings and really, really, and they were, they were not dumb guys. They knew by, 
as the XO, I hold the purse spring, the purse strings. Okay. Yeah. So while I was there, man, we bought so many Versa climbers, and dumbbells, <laughs> and one of the things now, when a rescue swimmer goes to a school, he loses his hazardous duty pay and he loses his flight pit. So right. that's a significant hit. Yeah, it's like five hundred dollars a month, give or take. I don't know what it is today, but it would have been something like that back then. Right. So if we wanted to attract quality people to the to the A school, I had to come up with some reasons. So one of them was we sent all of them to athletes' performance for performance training. So oh, they wow, would get nice. three weeks at athlete at athletes' performance in Arizona, the same place that they do uh, the NFL combine and they would learn state-of-the-art ways to train our A-school uh, rescue swimming candidates. And the other thing, I, I'm a numbers guy, so I just crunched some numbers and I, could, I came up with this data that you were 75%, there was a 75% chance you would advance while you were at A-school if you were an instructor. A 75% chance that I would advance? Yes. I like those odds. Just gonna throw right. that out there, right? Right. That's, so if I'm if a betting you're man, a hard which charge, I am, that, that's good odds. Yeah, if you're a hard charging second class and you want to be a first, come to the A school. I can get, I can pretty much guarantee I'll make you a, a, a first class by the time you you graduate, you uh, you're done with your tour. Now, for your listeners, um, in order to get advanced in the Coast Guard, there's a big testing procedure right. and it's in a rate as small as the aviation survival technician it's very very hard to advance yep it, Would you agree? Uh, agreed very much so yep yeah. you have to study your butt off you have to write number one two or three on the test and even then if there's an advancement like yeah and i understand now they're they're make they might be making some changes with that and they're uh some other stuff is coming down the pipe. I don't want to say anything because I, I don't have knowledge of it. So, but I, I've been you told. Need to get, you need to get, you need to get, here's a shameless plug for Eric Bean. You need to get Master Chief Bean on the podcast. I'm working on it. Let's go, Eric. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I heard, I heard there's some good stuff coming for advancement stuff for those guys and, and a way to, to do it. And yeah, yeah. it'll be good. good. So, so um i did my three years there in my staff tour i got my master's degree while i was there my thesis was on rescue swimmer attrition <laughs> that's awesome so <laughs> that was that was uh, that was a lot of fun i really threw myself into that um so that that was a, a good tour um and then uh i needed a pre as a pilot as an officer you need certain billets to advance so i needed a pre-command tour which would happen to be uh, an 04 engineering officer billet. So I was gonna get to go do the job I did before I got to Elizabeth City again. And I was pretty excited because I'd already done it for three years. So I, I know it. Um, they needed an engineer in Astoria flying the 60. And I wanted to fly the 60 so bad. So I signed up, they sent me to the uh, aircraft transition I swallowed my pride and I was a co-pilot for a year and I was the engineering officer at Astoria starting in 2010. You know, it's kind of funny to think about that. Like you got put into a co-pilot seat. 
still flying the 860s, still flying for the Coast Guard, still flying search and rescue. It just so happens you're in the left seat for the moment. <laughs> and, and quite frankly, at that point in your career, I was, uh, that was my fourth tour. Yep. I, I didn't mind being in the left seat because there were some nights I'd have a, a young lieutenant that was the AC and he'd be looking at the weather and I would be like, hey, you need to talk to me before you make a decision on the flight. Nice. I, said, I might not have I might not have flown this plane, but uh, uh, this helicopter, but I've flown plenty of them. And this is your first tour. This is my fourth tour. I'm hoping you will look for some insight. Yeah. You know, and Take those guys the advice from of, those who have been through it. Absolutely. Most of those guys are great. Most of those guys yeah. are great. You know, and I got to meet a whole new, I mean, every, I knew everybody in the 65 community. I knew some folks from be in the 60 community from being in Kodiak. Yeah. And uh, so it, it was fun. It, it was enjoyable. And uh, we had some great COs. Uh, Doug Kopp was our first CO. And then Captain Bruce Jones was our CO. And then I finished up with uh, Captain Dan Travers. And uh, awesome. so um, while I was there, I, I made a decision that I would retire there. Um, yep. They wanted to send me to Coast Guard headquarters. And I, I just, I made a family choice. I had missed so much of my kids' lives from deployments. I'd done over Coast Guard, uh, over 10 ship deployments as a 65 guy. That's over two years of sea time. That's a long time. Uh, so I'd, I'd, I'd missed a ton of time with my sons. Yeah. Yeah. I had one that was about to be a freshman in college and one that was about to be a senior in high school. So I, uh, I dropped my letter. I dropped my retirement letter. And as soon as I did that, a life flight opened a local uh, helicopter EMS provider, opened up a base in Astoria. So I'm a plank owner at uh, Life Flight 14 in Astoria. And that's so I've awesome. Been, I've been flying there since uh, 2015. Beautiful. Beautiful. So still flying. And I'm gonna I'm gonna plug in for one more thing you're doing, which conveniently enough, like out of out of all the stuff that you did in your career, um, going to A school and being part of like A school there, and for the record, you're you were the XO to the entire A school. That's all of them. So AMT, AST, uh, AET. So you're you're the command guy in charge, one of them. Um, but working with the swimmers. And in all that athletic stuff, transition into something that you're doing now, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm super lucky. So um, here I am, Eric Bean and Jason Bunch are training me. At the time, my kids are like nine and 10 and they're playing youth football. And I'm like, man, I, I really loved looking at athletic performance. And so whatever Eric and uh, Jason would teach me during the week, on Sunday afternoons at my house in Elizabeth City, all the local kids would come by and, you know, we'd be throwing medicine balls and hurdles and doing sprints <laughs> and push-ups and pull-ups. And, and uh, I really enjoyed the coaching aspect of being a strength and conditioning coach. So I said, when I go to Astoria, I'd like to, I'd like to do that. So when I got here, me and my ex-wife Margie volunteered as the strength and conditioning coach at Seaside High School. 
and we got to do all the in-season and off-season programming for a 400 uh, student high school for eight years. Wow, that is and, awesome. Uh, it was it was a blast, and now I, I have a small company called Northwest Athletic Performance. I uh, I train, you know, middle and high school athletes. Um, I always wanted to be a football coach uh, and train, you know, football players in the weight room, but girls softball and basketball seems to be my niche. I train a ton of girls softball and and basketball players, and it's awesome. fun. <laughs> Yeah, make them run faster, make them jump higher, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, prevent injuries. So I've been doing that now since 2010, so about 12 years. That is awesome. So you, and you are still flying EMS because you just got off work. Hey, and yeah. you're and you're beating up on kids in the morning. It's awesome. I'm not, I'm not beating up on kids. I'm coaching. Oh, sorry, sorry, kids. sorry. <laughs> Put, yeah. Pushing so, their limits um, to my, the next level. Yeah, yeah. There you go. My uh, my shifts at Lifelight start at 9 a.m. So uh, all of my training sessions with the kids are usually in the morning. Perfect. So I'll get up early. We'll go to the gym. We'll do a training session. I'll grab a shower and then I'll go to Lifelight. And then on my off week, you know, I just do other stuff. So. Oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. Damn, well done. And I've actually, I saw, I've been following you on Instagram as well, uh, just to watch what you and the kids are doing. I saw them doing like box jumps, landing on one leg versus the two and, and for the stability on the top of the jump, um, plates stacked up. So you're doing the, uh, you know, trying to get high jumps, how, how high you can go. So um, I love it. You've got bars. You've got, I actually, one of the things that I really liked watching was some of your Olympic lifting with um, you had, uh, what the heck was it? It's plywood, plywood plates. So the same yeah. size as a regular plate, but they're made out of plywood. So there's no weight on it. And you're, you're working on the technique move for that in particular exercise or that movement. It was awesome. Yeah. It's, it's the same height as a normal plate is. So their yeah. body gets the kinesthetic awareness of, okay, this is where I start. Yeah. Love it. Oh, it's, it's, it's perfect. And it's, it's awesome. And they they make technique plates that size, but they're like a hundred bucks a piece. And I'm like, man, I can make this. I'll go down to the wood shop and make <laughs> totally. I might actually do that anyway, just to have like you know a, a a plate on the inside of the rubber plate, so it doesn't bounce around so much. Yep, I'm thinking ideas already. <laughs> yep, yeah. So uh, before I let you go, is there any anything that stands out to you in any of your DD stations that? Uh, that really just, you know, made an impact on you that you could pass on to everybody else. Quinny, I'm so happy you said that. At my first air station, we had uh, an 04, a Lieutenant Commander, and his name was Blake Burris. And when I showed up, his nickname, that this is what the other pilots called him, not himself, because he would never call him this, but Don Dyer, Mark Driver, they'd call him Great One. And I'm like, and I'm like, Donnie, and Don Dyer is hysterical. He'd be another guy, great guy for your podcast. So Donnie's like, he's the greatest pilot to known humanity because there may be an equal in unknown humanity. (laughs) And Blake, Blake was just a super funny guy because he would look at Don and he would say, he would say something like, Donnie, 
I can take everything you know about aviation, put it on a piece of paper, wrap it up and stick it in my eye and live with no discomfort for 20 years. Wow, oh, that's deep right there. <laughs> but um, so Blake taught me how to fly the 65, you know, and he was just a pilot's pilot, an amazing pilot, an amazing man, a great dad, a great husband. Uh, and he, he always put what was important first. Okay, he never lost sight of priorities, you know, and and he would tell you, he'd be like, hoisting should be your last option. It's the last thing you want to do. If you have to do it, you do it. And uh, he had this little tongue-in-cheek thing called uh, Boris's Rules of SAR. Blake's Rules okay. of Search and Rescue. That's good, because I have my own rules, too. <laughs> so, uh, uh, again, I can't quote it. I'm going from memory, but like... Rule number one, in the history of SAR, there's never been the death of a dispatcher or a controller in a SAR case. Double check their work because we would get search patterns from, from the command center and you want to make sure you're searching in the area you're supposed to be searching in, not a restricted area, not something that's going to fly you into rocks or, or something yeah. like that. So, so that, was, that was good advice. Um, five minutes of planning is worth two hours of flying which is don't be in a rush to climb in the aircraft. Make sure you, you've done all your paperwork and, and done a good risk assessment before you get in the aircraft. Um, That's good advice too. Wow. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay. Um, medals and accolades are nice. Coming home safe with your crew is better. Absolutely. To follow yeah, that one boys, on. Yeah. All the Finnish boys are like, that's right. <laughs> yeah. All the, met, um, any medals and accolades are the result in inaccurate press accounts or bad head work. <laughs> um, and then the, probably the 50, one. 50 50 on that one. <laughs> the one that uh, stuck with me the most is the process of evolution cannot be stopped. And what that means is some days, you're going to do everything right and there's still going to be a negative outcome. Yeah. But that's why we have to be masters of our craft so that when you have those bad days where the, the person doesn't live, you can reflect on your process and your procedures and go, we did everything right. There's nothing we could have done different to affect a difference. Because yeah. sometimes you save a life, but sometimes you're just going to save your sanity. So yeah, Boris's rules of SAR. Another guy. Can get, I'm giving you a, a bunch of guys that could come. I love it. Right, name dropping left and right. Every one of you, call me. Just every, everybody. Just huh. just call yeah. me. Let's go. Let's make this happen. Yeah. Then, yeah. Oh my gosh. Dan, this has been an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for dropping these stories and, and great advice and what you're doing now with the kids. Man, I'm, I'm hoping one of them becomes a rescue swimmer. I'm pulling for every one of them. Yes. <laughs> so uh, you're still out in Oregon right now? I'm in Astoria, Oregon. All right. 
I'm going to come out there and I'll, maybe I'll come out to advanced school and, and bug those guys when they're, when they're there. And when that happens, I'm calling you. All right. Please do. I'd love to see you, man. It'd be awesome. So next time we're together, it'll be with a beer in hand. Hey, <laughs> I love it. Right on, Mr. Dan. Well, thank you again, sir. I appreciate it. And, uh, and with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com. That's jason at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q.com. You can also check us out on our web pages, therealrescue.com, our Facebook page, and our Instagram page, at The Real Rescue. Again, a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember, when that star alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.